0: Hello, John. Hello, Brandon. How's it going?
1: Good, buddy. Been a crazy week the last week, wouldn't you say?
0: Yeah, <laughs> it has been a crazy week. Yeah. Uh, moments of self-reflection, right? Yeah, and a little bit something of the, like that. Uh, or a lot of the human experience as we continue on this road. Yeah. Yeah. It's been an interesting week, say the least. I mean, I don't think everybody's akin to all the things. You know, there's a lot of things on social media. But one thing I have definitely learned, and I'm learning even more so, is that Kodiak Pro, John Schuler, Brandon Gore, in 20-plus years of us being in business and experience, we have, let's say, found a philosophy that works very well for us. And it's that philosophy that we stand not just behind personally, but also in products that we have now developed and are offering. Part of that philosophy, heard time and time again, is a concrete that's incredibly dense, resistant, hard, and strong, and then a sealer or sealer chemistry that complements that concrete. Taken to the next level, maybe it's part of becoming 50 years old, I want to use products that are environmentally friendly, -friendly, earth-friendly, use-friendly non-toxic. might even say food contact safe from a material point of view. I mean, there's no toxicity to begin with or end with. With that, anybody who's listened to some of our podcast, there's been products mentioned, specifically if people asked us questions about those products. And those can really ruffle feathers if we answer those questions. And, and I understand that. I truly understand the human experience. So what Brand and I strive very hard is complete transparency, openness, and integrity. So for a, for a few podcasts, and we hope to do even more as we keep moving along, we have, and we hope to keep inviting maybe other people with other philosophies, start to finish. Uh, as an example, Brandon and I have been pretty upfront. I'm not a fan of liquid polymers and all my reasons why, but there might be somebody out there who either manufactures a liquid polymer, stands behind it, the reasons why, maybe it's a sealer, maybe it's a concrete, I don't know, but it may be counter to what our philosophies are, and we look forward to bringing those people on so that we can have honest conversations Rather than some people who have, I'm going to say, thrown some personal attacks you know, that somehow, you know, we think they're standing on our on our own pedestal or something. Uh, that's just my point of view. What do you think, Brandon? I agree 100 percent.
1: Anybody that has known me for a long time knows that I do my best to not engage in any negativity on social media. I just try to stay out of it entirely. It's a zero-sum game. There's no winning once you, you know, start arguing back and forth. A much better thing that I've always tried to do is to call people directly and have a conversation. What's going on? You know, tell me about it. What what can we do to find common ground here? And that's what we're doing on a podcast. So instead of just being a private yep. conversation, which is what I've, I've endeavored to do for all this time, now it's a public conversation. I think that's good. I think it's good. To hear other people, you know, we can be in an echo chamber. We invite people on Mm -hmm. uh, all the time, but the people that come on are people that, that kind of align with the way we do things. They believe in our process. They believe in, as you like to say, philosophy, they believe in our products. Mm -hmm. And so people listening, like, oh, it's just a, it's just a sales pitch, you know? Well, no, it's not. You know, you brought up liquid polymers and I I just want to point out, John and I sell product. Now we manufacture product, which is different than most concrete product dealers. Most concrete product dealers are repackaging. They're not manufacturing anything. So they're buying things wholesale, putting their label on it or not, and then selling it to you for a markup. They're a middleman. Me and John Mm -hmm. aren't that.
0: Or a repackager of some sort. Yeah. Exactly. I I guess that's what you're saying.
1: Yeah. John and I are actual manufacturers. John makes the sealer. We have a company make our mix for us. There's no middleman.
0: Uh, Taking a fix, which we've been very open about. There's some of our raw materials that are specifically. Made for us, exactly. us alone, exactly because of our specification.
1: Yeah, we're we're a manufacturer. Now we could go. There's, you know, John has connections with every concrete materials company, raw materials company in the world. It seems we
0: mm-hmm. could go yeah, to a liquid true.
1: polymer manufacturer and have a custom liquid polymer made for us to our spec if we believed in liquid polymers. But we don't believe in liquid polymers because we've been no. down that road and we know what it does. So we chose yeah. to use. A very very small amount of a dry powder polymer in our in our pieces and in our our mixes, mm-hmm. not for the polymer reasons that most people are are used to, but for a different reason for particle right. compaction. Yeah. That's that's what it is for. But for us, it's not. We're not putting glue in our mix to glue concrete together.
0: And the same thing. Sorry to interrupt you. If I'm interrupting yeah, you, uh, sealer chemistries. Uh, these are things I've worked with and consult with on various with various companies. If we wanted to stand behind another philosophy. Well, I can make a coating. There's no question about it. The 20 years of experience has shown me time and time again. I'm again, I'm not telling anybody you're wrong for doing it. What I am saying is, my experience has shown me time and time again. I refer to them as not being life friendly. So, this we we sell products, we represent products that we design. we represent those products because we use them and because our years and years and hours and hours of experience has shown us time and time again that this path ends up ultimately the highest durability, both our use and end use that we have ever seen. yeah not taking into account how friendly they are. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm putting my dad hat on right now. And, you know, part of that is I want to be using things that says I'll be around 15 years from now, I'm non-toxic, clean, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah,
1: no VOCs, all I those things. You, you were, I was going down a, a certain path, but you kind of uh, added to that in the sense of sealer. So if we wanted to sell more products, some people accuse me and you of just being in this for the money, for the love of money, right?
0: If yeah, I we, think so. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I've heard that, that accusation. Sure.
1: Yeah. Uh, if we're in this for the love of money, typical concrete distributor, the smart business plan is to represent yeah. and sell as many products as possible. That's how you make more money.
0: You don't- Well, feed the consumer. Yeah, exactly. feed the consumer.
1: You don't yeah. make, you don't make, you make less money if you only sell one bag mix, one sealer. Correct. One plasticizer. Like, oh, that's not good yeah. for business. You know, if you went to Walmart and they just had one can of soup on the shelf and then, you know, one type of bread, you'd be like, yeah, I'm going to go someplace else. Yeah. So for a distributor that's in it for the love of money, you're going to sell as much product as you can. So it would be good business for me and you to sell liquid polymers, powder polymers. Sell them separately. Do all these different things. Mm -hmm. Package it. Call it this. Call it that. Put an X at the end of it. Whatever. Agreed. You know, same thing with sealer. We'd be very, very smart to sell five or 10 different sealers. Oh, that sealer didn't Mm -hmm. work for you. Here's another. Oh, that one didn't work. Well, here's another. Hey, that wouldn't work. This one has a Z on the end. Try that one. There's a lot of things we could be doing that we should be doing if we were in it for money, but we're not in it for the love of money. We're in it because we believe in this and this is what we do. What I want to get across to people is John and I are not salesmen. We created these products and sell these products because they fit a need that was in the marketplace. And they fill a demand because, you know, the things that were out there before did not meet my expectations of quality, usability, workability, all those things.
0: And ultimately to help others be successful at a level that we weren't at 10 years ago, but we are at and have been at for a while. Yeah. So if people can, you know, hop, skip and jump over all the trials and tribulations, and again, you don't have to, we're not telling you, you have to, but if you do, well, now we've, you know, I'm going to say we fine tune things that, that we've developed and that we work with, that we're confident with start to finish. So there's reasons why. And for those people that, that maybe because of these things, if we ruffle your feathers, please understand that's not our intention at all. We're just trying to purvey our experience and uh, stand behind that experience.
1: Yeah, and have an honest opinion. You know, that's something that's very hard to do today. If you have an opinion on something, and it is just that, we said this in the last podcast, this is our opinion. Our opinion's based on experience. It's not an opinion based on trying to sell product. This is based on experience. But if our opinion based on experience upsets people, you know, the smart thing to do is not share your opinion. This is, this is what we believe to be true. And so to me, it's important that we have those honest conversations because without honesty in dialogue, then it is just a sales pitch. Then we're not actually having a conversation about why we do things, the reason we do things, the road we went down before that led to this place that we are today. How did we get here? That's all part of the, the bigger conversation. But I want to finish the thought I was making. You know, sure. I think I, I think I made it clear that we're not in the business of trying to make as much money as possible. We're not trying to, you know, in this for the love of money. Cause if we were, we're doing it the wrong way. Number one, <laughs> it'd be
0: nice though, right?
1: <laughs> it would be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking myself into selling, you know, 10 polymers and 20 different sealers. I think that'd be, <laughs> right. be good. I would say if you get to know me and John and a lot of guys in this industry know us and a lot of people since we've launched Kodiak Pro have come to know us that didn't know John and I before but if you get to know me and John, you'll know that our motivations behind doing this is to help businesses big and small. You can be a one-man guy working in your garage. We have plenty of those customers. Or you can be a huge company ordering 20 pallets a month. We have those customers.
0: Those as well, yeah.
1: The whole spectrum, small company to big company. Our goal is to help you make the best concrete possible, the most durable concrete possible, to be as profitable as you can because that's a very important important part of being a business you're doing this to provide for your family to provide for your employees families so you got to be profitable and ultimately to create a product that you can sleep well at night you can stand behind and if problems develop down the road which inevitably doesn't matter what sealer technology you use there's going to be instances where you have to do repair that those are easy to do and
0: everything wears out exactly
1: those are easy to do in a client's home in a school in a hospital wherever it is these can be accomplished very, very easily. And so that's our philosophy, our perspective, and our motivation for doing what we do. And the last thing I want to say, John, and I've said this before, is we can't be all things to all people. We are not the Walmart or the McDonald's or whatever. We are for the guys that value quality. Now, the quality doesn't cost that much more. You know, we've done the calculations on past podcasts. I was talking to you earlier today. I'm going to go through- Over
0: and over again, yeah. Exactly. I'm going to go through,
1: I'm going to get current prices- 2022 prices, you know, COVID prices, inflated prices, where we are today on Portland and sand. And I'm going to do the breakdown on just very basic mix, which would be, you know, 3,000 to 9,000 PSI, somewhere in that range, would be Mm -hmm. versus maker mix or rad mix. And I guarantee you it's a dollar to $2 a square foot max difference in price. But we'll break it down. We'll show you the difference.
0: I think that'd be neat to see. I think it'd be neat for a lot of people to see. Exactly. It'd be an eye opener. Exactly.
1: The products we make are for people that that want to make the best concrete they can make, and you can make the best concrete in the world. And if you don't believe me, get some maker mix from Joe Bates, get thirty pounds and cast it and see for yourself. But you can get the best concrete in the world for a dollar to two dollars more a square foot than what you're currently using. And if you're doing a sink, that's eight square feet, eight to sixteen dollars more materials. If you're doing a, a kitchen at sixty square feet, sixty to one hundred twenty dollars more materials. It's negligible. I think a lot of guys have this misconception of the price difference. They, in their mind, they think it's 800% or 1,000% more materials cost. It's not. It's like 11% materials. And anybody that does this for long enough knows that materials costs are one of your lowest cost items in the business. Your biggest cost item is labor. And that's what we're trying to save on is labor. Because that's, that's your biggest... At the end of the year, when you look at your profit and loss labor is one of your basic expenses, if not the basic expense in any concrete shop. So that's what we're trying to save. That's my perspective.
0: So today, for anybody listening from this point on, I know we've ruffled some feathers. I know moving forward, we'll probably continue to ruffle some feathers, never intentional. And on social media, these last couple of weeks, per one of our podcasts, we did our best and which I thought delicately, but we answered some questions that and concerns with a product from somebody. So people got very upset, thought maybe we even misrepresented. And being forthcoming and transparent, honorable, whatever we want to talk about, we have invited Cody Sandoval on. And he graciously accepted. I really like Cody Sandoval. Years I've known Cody Sandoval. uh, Years of he's been in business. And so who represents a product now? along with his concrete. So, who has a different point of view and a, and a different way of doing this than we do. So, yeah, I, I look forward to talking to Cody. I think it'll be a great conversation. What do you think?
1: The best thing we can do is have conversations in the light of day, not lob grenades over walls at each other. That that's no way to build unity. What I want to do and I think what you want to do is in this industry, let's let's build cohesion and dialogue, and we don't all have to agree. And at the end of the day, guys, it's just concrete. It's just concrete. That's all we're doing is concrete. We get so emotional and passionate, and, you know, and and we, we, it's just, it seems like things get blown out of proportion in relation to what they are.
0: Well, we talked about in the last podcast. I mean, I have to admit, it blew my mind. But yeah, there's, there is for a lot of people, this very, very personal attachment to what they're doing. So sometimes hearing our point of view, if that's not their point of view, I mean, I don't agree with it, but I can certainly see this very defensive posture that maybe thinks we're just being jerks, but but that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to be honest. We're trying to be you know, transparent. We're trying to be very forward and talk about our experiences, other of people's experiences, and success. Ultimately, I think that's what all of us are looking for: success, whatever your version of success is.
1: Well, John, you want to give Cody a call?
0: Let's give Cody a call. It might be a spirit. We'll see if I get spirited. But uh, <laughs> I look forward to it. I <laughs> really like. Let's give Cody a call.
1: Awesome. All right, let's do it. Our guest for this week's Concrete podcast is Cody Sandoval of Whitestone Studios. Cody, how's it going? Good, man. How are
2: you doing? Doing great. Hey, Cody. Good to hear from you, man.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's good. You know, John and I were talking. It's so nice to have somebody that uses something other than Kodiak Pro. You know, we've had so many people on that use our products, but that's just kind of been more or less because those people have accepted our invitation. But we're glad to have you on. We're glad to uh, hear your absolutely. perspective and your experience. so Yeah, man. absolutely. So tell us before we get started, tell us about you um, when did you start your company? What do you do exactly? So
2: I was uh, I'm a third-generation kind of concrete mason. That's what I grew up uh, working with my dad's company he did plaster and walls and all kinds of masonry. And I remember, you know, going to work when I was worked for the summer when I was 12 years old and mixing mud. And I hated it, uh, did it all the way up till pretty much through high school. Um, I worked with my dad in the summer. My grandpa was a Mason as well. He taught my, uh, he taught my dad, um, everything he knew. And, uh, after that, I just didn't want to mix mud and, you know, do concrete stuff. So, of course, you want to go do something else. And that's when I went into uh, went to college. And I went in through uh, an aviation program at a community college here in Salt Lake and became an airline pilot after about five years and um, started working for the airlines. And probably about six or seven years into the airlines, it was right after I started in 2007 um, flying commercially for, for, uh, the airlines. And they, uh, that was right before 2008 hit and the economy went down. And then just all of the movement and promotions and, you know, uh, movement to other aircraft and everything that stopped in 2008, my company didn't hire any, anybody for about four years. And so I was just kind of stagnated. And, um, I always, had seen, you know, concrete countertops in like on Facebook and and the internet and Instagram and stuff like that. And I thought it was cool. I had a rental property that I wanted to do a countertop on. And that's kind of how I got started, um, doing that. And then, uh, you know, it just kind of grew, uh, to the point where it kind of took over, um, most of my daily profession. I still fly. Um, but I never really pursued aviation. So I just kind of stayed at my company. I got like some seniority. Uh, I've been there for about 20 years now um, at my airline and uh, my seniority is pretty good. So I can, you know, work about two, three days a month. And that gives me time to do uh, concrete. So that's, that's kind of how I got into concrete.
1: And you just moved to a new shop, right?
2: Yeah. So we were in our shop. Um, this is, I've moved three times. And the second shop I was in for about eight years, I had a shop before that. Uh, the one I was in was about 45 minutes from my house. It was it was a long drive, you know, downtown Salt Lake. So it was kind of a grind going down the freeway and the traffic and everything. The, the rent was pretty good um, on the building and we were kind of dug in there. And so we stayed, uh, but they raised the rent on us pretty significantly back in uh, October. And, uh, I just got lucky and talked to a customer actually, that's ordered a bunch of products from us. He's built his third house and he always orders fireplace rounds and sinks from us. And I just happened to call him and ask him if he had any properties, uh, to rent. And he, he showed me a couple and then one of them, he said he would sell to me. And so, uh, we're in the process of buying it, but we, yeah, we just moved into it. And it's, uh, it's nice to have your own, your own spot, you know, instead of paying
1: rent. And you, in addition to all this, you have your sealer side that you sell too. So you're, you're doing concrete fabrication, but you're also doing product sales.
2: Also doing product sales, which is something I never thought that I would get into. A couple of years ago, it was about 2019, they stopped, um, passing inspections for concrete sinks and the building inspector said that you needed a UPC listing and so we looked into it, and it was just outrageously expensive. Um, but we um, we landed a job at one of the ski resorts, and they wanted like twenty sinks or something like that. So in order to get that job, we had to get a UPC listing. And so we we bit the bullet, went through the listing pro uh, process, and that's how I developed the uh, the sealer that I have uh, now, and then, uh, we were just going to use it. We used it for about a year and we didn't tell anybody about it. We were just going to sell our sinks and just have, you know, just have our, our in-house, you know, sealer and wasn't something we really talked about on, uh, social media or anything, but there was interest in it. And so we did a test group, um, you know, and that lasted several months and more and more people came in and we finally gave it a name and Developed a brand around it. And then, like I say, something I never intended on doing or wanted to do, but here we are. So, you
1: developed a sealer?
2: Uh, So, we went to a chemist that was near our shop and I had met him years ago. And so, I knew him and I went in and, and he sells it's just masonry coatings that they do. They mostly do industrial coatings. And I showed him the UPC listing and what the specs required. And he helped me kind of read through some stuff. And he said we had a sealer um, that we manufacture, but it's there's a patent uh, holder, and you'll have to contact the patent holder. So, you know, we went through and did some negotiation. We licensed the sealer so that we can have it manufactured. So I work directly with my, with my chemist. Um, he's awesome. He's been to my shop, uh, even my new shop several times. I talk to him weekly, and I get to go into his his cool lab and play with all of his all of his cool gadgets and his little electric meters and all the cool stuff that he has. So it's a good relationship and it's fun. Um, so we get everything in 15 gallon drums and then we batch everything ourselves. Uh, we label everything ourselves. So we do a lot of the work, um, in our shop, but, uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a ton of, it's a lot of time that goes into it.
1: So, you know, I think a good way to maybe, Do this conversation is to just get some things out there on the table right up front, and then we can go from there. Sure. Uh, I think that, you know, the podcast we did last week, that you may feel, and a lot of people that use your product may feel, that we only brought up seal hair to sell more ICT. And then I think, you know, you may feel that we gave misinformation regarding seal hair. So, you know, let's talk about it.
2: Sure. I think that's a good. That's a good way to to state it, yeah, and uh, you know, I don't have anything personally against either of you guys. John and i've been we've known each other a long time, and he's helped me out a long time, so I have a lot of respect uh for the help that John's you know given me for years, so it's it's nothing personal, but just like you uh mentioned, um, out of professional courtesy, like I am just careful not to you know name names or say any specific products um and then try to sell my sealer off it um and so maybe when i listened to the um podcast last last week maybe that's what the the feeling was is that it was directed you know at sealer and because it was mentioned uh you know numerous times during the podcast and there's some uh specific things it's not uh anything specific um if you're just having a general discussion about topical sealers and reactive sealers, like that's, that's nothing that it uh, bothers me or, or, um, offends me or anything like that. Um, so it's, um, that's just something that I felt. And if that wasn't the intention, then that's what we're here to talk about. And I appreciate you guys, you know, bringing me on to discuss it. I think that's, uh, that's really good of you guys.
1: You know, it sounds like maybe you felt that, um, because you're closer to John and, and Joe than you are to me, we haven't had a whole lot of conversation over the years, but maybe you were betrayed by people you thought were friends when, when we were talking about seal hair. Did, is that how you felt?
2: A little bit. Yeah. And you know, here's the thing. Social media is a really terrible place to address things. Um, because you know, social media, you can get on late at night, uh, especially if you have to, after you had a couple beers of beers and uh, you've had a whole bunch of phone calls that day and then you say things. And then a couple days later, you're like, ah, I probably shouldn't have said that. So, um, social media is a terrible place to discuss stuff like this. Um, so earlier last summer, um, I went out to Sonoma and I hung out with, uh, John and Joe Bates and Joe Bates called and invited me and said that John wanted to come. And he, he said it was going to be cool. And everything's going to be, uh, you know, no, no problems or anything. And uh, I had no problem with going and I thought it was awesome. I had a great time and it was fun to hang out with John. I always have fun hanging out with John. So I had a fantastic time. So I think just seeing the the two of the guys on there, um, I just wanted to address it. And like I say, social media is not a great place to address it. But um, I called John and we kind of cleared things up a little bit. And then, you know, I appreciate that you reach, reached out uh, to me. And uh, allowed me to come on and have a discussion about this. So,
1: back to last week's podcast and the feeling that maybe we gave misinformation about seal hair. What would you like to clarify or resolve with that?
2: I think one of the beginning points about 10 minutes in that I kind of want to talk about a little bit is when you asked John specifically um, seal hair expectations versus you know, ICT. Um, I just noticed that part because it wasn't, you know, topical sealers expectations. It was specifically seal hair expectations. And so I was like, okay, let's listen to this. And one of the things that I feel like is misleading is when John says, you know, it's a quick fix and the me- mechanical bonds, you know, everybody knows in six months or two years, the mechanical bonds are going to break down. And there's going to be problems. And I think that's, uh, that's something I'd like to clear
1: up and uh, talk about. What I want to just make sure that you understand, I, I know that you do, but people listening is, I read the question verbatim and was trying to answer his question. It wasn't my intent to throw seal hair into the bus. And, you know, I listened back to it. My wife listened to the, the podcast a couple of times. And she's like, eh, she's like, I, I see where he's coming from you know, Cody Sandoval. And I was like, yeah, I, I see where he's coming from as well. My viewpoint is I was trying to specifically address this person's question, but I tried to shift it away from seal hair to topicals as quickly as I could, because I, I've never used seal hair. You know, I don't, I don't have a history of seal hair. I just have a history with topicals, urethanes, epoxies, polyurethanes. Yeah. I. yeah so, I. so my viewpoint's coming from topicals, just the, the general category of topicals. So sure. trying to shift away, but what Aaron said is, and she, she's like, yeah, I, I heard that, but she's like, what, what made it confusing is there wasn't like a clear delineation. You're answering a question about seal hair and then you're talking about topicals, but a lot of people yeah. would correlate yeah. that you're still talking about seal hair. They, they don't understand and that, that, that switch.
2: Yeah, that, that was the point is that there just wasn't a clear. So, you know, two things can be true at the same time. You can do a podcast and clearly understand what your intentions are. Um, because you're the one you know talking about it but when people listen to it it's like you say it's not clearly deline- delineated and so it could be understood is that that's what you're talking about is uh you know specifically seal hair that's what surprised me because like I say a general discussion about topicals and reactives like I'm not that that's nothing personal that doesn't bother me one bit you know. But, um, I just felt like you were specifically talking about it and I'm going, okay, well, there's some misleading things here and I hope the, the intent isn't to, you know, harm my brand, um, specifically by name, um, when I think there's some misleading information that I'd like to clear up. So.
1: Sure. Yeah. And and like John just said, that's, that's not our intent at all. I do have extremely strong opinions about topicals, just the the category of topicals. Yeah. Because, and, and we talked about this earlier this week, that topicals have a lot of downsides to them. You've experienced those downsides with with topicals in the past, and I've experienced Absolutely. Them. And those, that's what ultimately led me to go to reactive sealers. It was just EAP, E32K, um, yeah. all those different the Same ones. thing with me,
2: and, then, yeah. and I went through the same cycle. Yeah. Yep, and that's how I found John, you know, years ago. And um. And that's how I met John. Yep, you know, I went through the same thing.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, you have been I mean, doing this for six years. You have, and this is not to pump up ICT. I mean, but you do have a legacy of work out there. Right? Absolutely. That, yeah. Um, th- as you follow this path, that's still out there. You know, still in service, still doing its thing. So that's awesome. Yeah. I, I think it's yeah. awesome. Anyway, I don't know how to say this, but you know, I I don't think there's any question. With anybody about the considerable pros of a of a topical film, would you agree? And of course, yeah, there's pros and cons to everything. Well, I mean, let's just focus on the pros, and then you know, if we want to dive into the cons, that's fine. One of the things that often comes up, and I think you'll agree, the immediately or the first thing would be stain resistance. Mm -hmm. I think you'll agree. You know, topical films. Uh, let's say applied correctly, that's the, that would be a clear thing. A a film should have good stain resistance.
2: Well, so we have a highly cross-linked sealer, so it's not um, going to react to chemicals or, um, uh, you know, chemicals or anything from the environment. So we've done everything from gasoline to muriatic acid uh, to xylene and, and MEK and acetone and everything we can think of, you know, hydraulic fluid. We put everything on it, covered it with cups, let it dry, come back a week later, and nothing will uh, affect the coating. That was was one of the things that um, was impressive about it when I first started using it.
0: Those are definitely the pros. Do you see a con?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of the stuff you guys mentioned, I didn't disagree with everything in the podcast. Like, it is a, it does, it's a solvent-based sealer. So you have to it's, you know, professional use uh, product, um, but not unlike people that work in furniture, fa- fa- you know, fabricating shops where they're spraying lacquers and uh, clear coats or people that work in an automotive you know, shop where they're spraying uh, clear coats. Now, we don't spray our sealer. We roll it. Um, but we we have pretty much all the protective equipment we need just from making concrete, because when you grind, concrete you know that kicks up silica dust and stuff that's not good for you to breathe in so we have you know just our our standard 3m respirators uh that we always wear um anytime we have to cut concrete or grind with concrete you know and so you know it's it's definitely smells that's just one thing you're not going to get around with a solvent-based sealer so you just have to decide if that's something you want now the other con is that there's a learning curve to it just like i told you When I first got it, you know, and I was really unfamiliar with it. There wasn't a community built around it. um, It was very difficult for me to use. And uh, if I was just to buy the sealer, you know, not having anything invested in it and try it out, I probably would have not got to the point where I've, I've made it through the learning curve to figure it out. Now we know a lot more about the sealer at this point. You know, we've learned a ton from our focus groups that we've done and our Facebook group. And, uh, we've learned, you know, how to apply it and get a good look and get a professional look out of it. Um, but the learning curve is definitely a con for sure. Yeah.
0: I think that, I mean, that could be set really for any sealer.
1: Would you say that topicals last forever?
0: No, but they're going to last a, a long time.
2: But I mean, eventually just depends on how much abuse you're going to give anything, right? If you have a, a hardwood floor. Uh, that's got a polyurethane coating on it and you know you can go back to somebody's house that doesn't hardly use their house and 60 years later it looks perfect you go back to somebody with moderate use and 10 15 years later you know there's going to be scrapes and stuff in it but i mean for the most part it's going to hold up or you can have somebody that just completely trashes it uh and so it just depends on how uh, the person you know treats the uh, the surface but i tell people to just treat it like they would their wooden um dining room table you know the main thing is you wouldn't cut with a knife on your wooden dining room table like if you have a, a science project for your kid and you got a utility knife and you're cutting through it you know that's something you wouldn't do other than that pretty much everything else you just live as normal but that's the one expect. that's the one thing that we tell our customers is just to use a cutting board, don't cut on it. Pretty much everything else, we just
1: walk away. And John, as far as reactive sealer, because that was kind of the conversation last week, expectations and realistic right. pros and cons of, of both technologies. With reactive sealer, does it last forever? No. So and it's, it's something that's going to have to be reapplied at some point.
0: With anything, repair and the ability to repair is something... All of us have to stand behind. I think that's been one of the for my and for my opinion, looking at the history of just this small industry, is if you can't go back, all three of us can say the same thing. if If we put this out right now and and said, "Hey, can someone go repair this project? Maybe it's something you shipped off. Oh, my God. I mean, most people have this massive hands off point of view, like, I don't know what it was sealed with, and ah, I'm not touching it and et cetera, et cetera. so, yeah, I think repairability is a
1: huge thing. In regards to topicals, Cody, like I, my experience is E32K, which was made by Richard James, was repairable. Mm-hmm. EAP, which was sold by Bob Chatterton back in the day, was not repairable. Where does uh, seal hair fall on that scale of repairability in the field?
2: Can, can you give me an idea of the, uh, what kind of damage you're talking about?
1: Well, you know, so with E32K... I put that in a lot of restaurants and universities and things like that. And it would be, you know, a scratch abrasion through the surface uh, in a restaurant, like an order counter where they get a lot of abrasion. I have to go back in and roll on some more sealer. With EAP, mm-hmm. if there was a scratch or any abrasion, it wouldn't bond to itself. It was like Teflon. Oh, yeah. So where does seal hair fall in the spectrum of repairability?
2: Oh, yeah. It's recodable for sure. Yeah, you can repair it. I've got uh, some scratch repair videos on my Facebook page. Um, and it's, it's actually pretty interesting. The The uh, coating is actually pretty strong. So you can sand it um, without, you know, sanding through. You know, anytime you try to do a repair, if you sand with an orbital sander and you sand through the coating, you got problems. Um, but if you get like a deep scratch, in fact, I showed this to uh, John Schuler. Um, it was kind of a quick, you know, demonstration, but when I was down in Sonoma, hanging out with John and Joe Bates, uh, we took a utility knife and scratched through the coating. Um, and the method that I came up with repairing it is to use knife grade epoxy that you would get from like a granite countertop store and you can drag it through the, uh, the cut or the scrape, um, or the scratch, I guess I should say let it dry and you can take your razor blade and you know uh scrape it uh flat and you can leave it at that if you want and that's you're done or if the customer wants you to just recoat the um piece you know after you've done the, the the repair and what that does is it levels you know the gouge to make everything level so that you have an even reflection And then it also, you know, bonds, you know, the edges where that frayed edge is going to be, if anything. Uh, And then you can just recode over the top of it. So
1: the death nail for me with topicals, it was I was using the AP and I was starting to have delamination issues. And other people, I was teaching classes back then and I was teaching the AP in the classes and other people were having mass amounts of delamination. So Jeremy French is somebody that comes to mind. Yeah, A lot of people are having delamination issues with EAP, and um, it became just so problematic that a lot of people ended up closing shop and, and that kind of stuff. I know seal hair is fairly new, so it doesn't have a, a super long track record to look back on, but has right. there been any issues with delamination?
2: Yeah, there has been. When people uh, get the sealer for the first time and they try it out, um, there's been you know several people that have had issues with it. Um, And what we've traced it back to are the concrete has to be dry. Um, It just has to be dry. And different environments are going to, you know, cure differently. So, you know, if you have a more humid, if you live by the coast or something like that, um, you just really need to make sure the the concrete's dry. And that's, you know, something I was doing with ICT, uh, was using a torch to really make sure the concrete was dry. So I was doing that in the beginning. And that was probably why I was having success with it. Um, it's just using a torch making sure everything was dry. I I would typically wait a day or two after any type of wet polishing.
0: Um, you know, I'd run fans and stuff like that. Well, and on, on the wet concrete, but as you very well know, us talking for years, you know, that having that ability of, you know, cured concrete. I mean, that is one of the things with ICT that's been you know, a nemesis with a product that needs to soak in where the concrete is the catalyst. So I empathize with that tremendously. And that's what's for me anyway, you know, this last year plus led to some of the new advances in my reactive technology is now the ability to work, you know, to react with, I mean, concrete that's literally the next day. If not, as you recall, when we were in Napa, Heck, I was sealing concrete that was only what two hours old. I mean, that was pretty amazing. So, and I'm not trying to shift this to ICT, but I want I, I empathize, man. I get it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Our standard protocol is you know, if you polish, you should be able to seal the next day. Um, so long as you're just making sure that you're checking to make sure the moisture's out. You know, in the middle of summer is not the same as winter when it's 60 degrees. Uh, so checking it with a roofing torch, you know, blowing it out and making sure you don't see that moisture vapor. And if you see it, you just have to wait and torch it 30 minutes later and you have to keep doing it. And sometimes you have to get to where you're just gonna let it sit for another day. But the reason why is with a, a coating like seal hair, you once the coating is cured, it's not vapor transmissive. Vapor is not gonna go through it in any direction. So if there's vapor still in the concrete matrix uh and it, you put a coating on there just like if you were to do a patio you know for somebody or a driveway if the sprinklers were on the night before and uh there's moisture in the concrete it's going to create uh you know bonding issues with it which is a pretty pretty known um issue in the industry there's a lot of literature on it you know with different types of flooring coatings and driveway and patio coatings you know so you can read a lot of literature on it they show pictures of of those things, and that's kind of like how we led to those uh, conclusions. Is you know, it's got to be really acid etched. It's got to be clean, and the other thing is the temperature has got to be warm. We always like to seal around seventy-five degrees to keep the concrete as open as possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people notice when they put the sealer on that it really sometimes they'll have it maybe over acid etched or whatever it is, and it will really really drink into the uh, surface, and they'll actually have to add maybe another coat, you know, because it looks a little bit dry. Um, you know, so those are some of the feedback we get. So it just depends on how the concrete, everybody has different concrete. There's different, you know, densities of concrete, there's EECs and UHPCs and GFRC and hand trout. there. All those surfaces are different. It's kind of, it's not, it's not unlike wood for uh, people that do uh, flooring, you know, hardwood flooring, there's Oak and there's maple and right. they all have different densities and they have to be opened up, you know, to accept a sealer. Uh, and so that's kind of like our concrete.
1: Yeah, I think wood is a great analogy, and, and it's one that a lot of concrete guys uh, sometimes miss because woodworkers are s- hyper aware of the moisture content of the wood. They won't seal it until it gets below a certain moisture content. But um, right. a lot of guys in the concrete industry kind of play fast and loose with the moisture content when they're sealing. And like John said, ICT used to be very, very finicky with very moisture. Very sensitive,
0: yes. Yeah, very, and yeah.
1: You know, when I was in Arizona, that wasn't a big deal because it's so arid there. And even in the wintertime, it's so dry that it would. It Same. Would, yeah. But then. Same with Utah. Yeah. But then when I moved to Arkansas, I couldn't get the moisture content down low enough because it's so humid. And even right. in the wintertime, it was humid and that was a problem. But uh, like John said, the most recent iteration of ICT uh, actually likes wet concrete. So right. some of the things that we're, were shown in the classes now is you know, especially if we're doing upright cast where we're doing hand trowel is John will trowel it. And then uh, before the end of the day, we roll sealer on and then cover it with plastic and blankets and let it cure with the concrete itself. And, you know, if we'd done that back a year ago, it would have turned white, oh.
0: pure yeah, white. Yeah, it would have been a ghost. Yeah. It would have been, yeah, it looked like someone had a big cocaine party on it. But it's one of those things yeah. with
1: the serious iteration. And, you know, it's, it's one of the feedback I've seen some people say about um, ICT in general And after you, you know, release version five, six, seven of seal Hair, which is inevitable as time goes on, you'll, you'll make tweaks to it and you'll say, ah, you know, we can, we can. That's,
2: that's the one promise I've told everybody, um, is that I'm never going to change the sealer.
1: Even if there's something that can make it better, you wouldn't change it. Yes. Yeah. We're not going to change it. That's
2: just something that I've promised everybody. Um, that's, that's something I've, I've promised everybody that we're never going to change the sealer. So. We are going to we may change our application methods. We may change you know um, you know just the way we put it on or the way we roll it, or you know just techniques of application they they may change from time to time. But that's the one promise I've told everybody is I'm never going to change the product. I've always uh, you know looked. Um, at ICT, and I've always wanted John, you know, I've never ever looked at it and, and wanted anything bad. I've always wanted him to be successful with it. I mean, it's a cool idea, Um, and I know a lot of people like it. And uh, I mean, he's working on it, and I think that's great.
0: Well, I think that's a key. I think I've, re- I, I mean, personally, I feel like I've hit the end of my run. I can't, I mean, after listening to people's feedback for so many years, using it for so many years, the pros and cons, as we just, just talked about, moisture um you know i mean that was just something i was tired of fighting not to say i don't want people to cure their concrete you know correctly and and do the kind of things but you know for me just using that specific situation you know i just looked at it like well wait a minute how how do we how can i modify my own chemistry to make it work with it rather than fighting it which sure. turns around and for me anyway Created an entirely new potential in reactive technology that never existed before, with the feedback from everybody. And you know, again, kudos to all. I mean, uh, uh, and an extreme humbleness to everybody who's giving me feedback over the years. Which oh yeah, you know, it's like invaluable. Yeah, you push yourself, right? You push yourself to make things better, which then has morphed into. I mean, we've been talking about sealers, pros and cons. And, you know, how far we address those, but also in concrete. I mean, as you know, like when you were in Napa, you know, designed a, a new HPC that, um, that you gave us some feedback on. Yeah, I thought so. it was
2: cool. It's, it's way cool. It, was, it polished out great and looked awesome. What kind of mix are you using right now? Just a basic GFRC.
1: And what, what is that?
2: It's, it, I mean, it's just sand and cement and polymer and uh, a defoamer and uh shrinkage reducer and a poslin uh
1: cody sandoval what do we got to do to get you in this brand new maker mix today
2: (laughs) how do we fit you you in this the the thing that so here's two things right the um if i had a shop with like 15 people i'd be a lot more i'd be a lot more um interested in getting into like bag mixes just for it, just for ease of people not messing up. But right now, I'm just running a shop with one guy. I had four people back in 2019, and uh, that was right before COVID hit. And th- I, I also just went through my UPC listing, and uh, I, I kind of want to take my company in a different direction. I've been doing custom work for so many years, and and really complicated, you know, your fireplace surrounds and some of the molds we build are it's awesome work. But it's, you know, you kind of sacrifice, you know, for one project that takes you three weeks, you kind of sacrifice like, man, I could have just made like five sinks and had the same price as like this complicated project, you know, right. that are really easy to do. So we wanted to take our uh, business in a different direction. I've been trying to do that for years, um, since 2019. And so that's, that's why I dropped some of the people I had. And I just, uh, my nephew works for me, uh, Bradley shout out to Bradley. He's a good kid, and he's, uh, he's, he's been working with me since his junior year in high school. So he's a young kid that's been working with me for about three years. He's 21 years old, and there's not a lot of people that know this industry that are his age. And, I mean, he is a rock star for his age and what he can do. Um, he's learned a ton, and, I mean, that kid knows every single part of the shop. So right now, it's just me and him, you know. And then the other thing is the shipping costs are so high right now. Um, it's just crazy trying to ship everything. Like the shipping prices are just crazy. If you guys had distributors right here in Salt Lake, uh, where I could just go pick up bags, you know, I'd, I'd consider looking at it, especially for certain projects where where time or just the look of it. You know, I mean, I'm more interested in just the aesthetic look sometimes of concrete, um, and that was the main thing that I was looking at. Uh, maker's and Mix, I thought it was uh, just aesthetically really nice.
1: Sure. Yeah. It's a super, super dense mix. The Muskoka chairs, which I've been casting since 2012. So 10 years now, the ones I did, you know, way back in the day with Forton were good. Uh, on the scale of one to 10, they're like a five. When I popped out the first one, the back looked like a moon crater, uh, or the surface of the moon. It was just all craters. And, uh, and I was initially disappointed with it, but I was like, ah, eh, you know, it's concrete. And then as time went on and I started using some different products that John had developed for Buddy Rhodes, it got a little bit better when I went to using Ultra Seals. It improved somewhat, but it was still, still a lot of imperfections on the outside of the, the form. Go
2: ahead. You guys do a lot of, uh, like uh, I don't want to call it wet casting, but direct sure. casting. What, yeah. do you, what do you call it? Yeah. I
1: call it SEC. I just SEC. SEC casting. Port, yeah. Yeah. See,
2: I, I primarily do GFRC.
1: Well, I'm doing SEC um, GFRC. I'm just not spraying a face coat. So I'm just pouring directly in with the fibers yeah. in it. So the, the spraying a face coat thing is something that I did for a long time. And back when I did it is during the housing boom, and I had quite a few employees, the problem with it was inconsistency. And for me, it was a hard way to run a business because even if I sprayed five pieces, Three would be great. Two would be, you know, they have a sandy corner, there'd be an air pocket. The guys are putting a back coat on, would push through the face coat and there'd be this imperfection. And after years and years of the consistent inconsistencies, uh, I kind of just had this realization, like this is a hard way to run a profitable business for me. Now, some other people, it's a different Yeah, There's a lot of steps. Yeah. It
2: definitely can be, especially if you have a lot of hands in, in the, uh, kitchen. Yeah. Um, You know, but you can do it with like me and my nephew. Uh, We run everything and we're just we have really specific, you know, things that we do um, to make sure we don't do anything because we're so aware of like pushing through the face code or, you know, just everything you just mentioned. Um, But I mean, I definitely want to look down the road at different uh, types of direct casting SEC because. I mean, GFRC, it's uh, it's messy. You yeah. know, yeah. it sprays shit everywhere.
1: Well, um. it was messy. And then, like John was saying, time. So, you know, when you spray a face coat, you brush it out, you spray another face coat, you wait. And summertime, you don't wait that long. Wintertime, you could wait an hour, hour and a half before you yeah, apply you can your back coat. Yeah. And then, yeah. so you're applying a back coat. And if you have a big vertical and you're hand applying a vertical, you're, you know, you're taking a lot of time on that. And you're hand applying over a sink and then you're waiting a trowel it. And so I could be. Just on a sync project, I could be there for, once we started spraying a face coat to the time I left, four, four hours plus.
2: Yeah, that's right. Uh,
1: with SEC GFRC, which again, anybody listening, I'm not saying one is the way and, and one isn't. I'm saying based on my experience, I did the spray and from a business viewpoint, it was difficult for me. So the SEC GFRC, you know, we, we spend more time building a form, so we'll build a secondary form, a backer form. And it has to be more structurally sound than a GFRC form because of hydraulic pressure. But once we mix, we pour it in, we're done. Like literally, that's what I love about it is we mix, yeah. we pour it, and by the time I'm done washing buckets, you know, it's been 30 minutes from the time I turn the mixer on, and we're, I'm shutting lights off and we're leaving the shop.
2: Yeah, and I love that about SCC. I, I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: But with Maker Mix, we get extremely, extremely precise high end dense finishes so back when i was using the ultra seals buddy Rhodes mix that john had developed it was good but it wasn't great it was it was okay it was better than the Forton mix we were using but it was still a lot of imperfections when the whole thing went down with smooth on purchasing buddy roads and i started messing around with my own mix because i just wasn't happy with the products coming coming from smooth on i was getting better results but then when john came on and he modified maker mix even further The cast we're casting now, just like you said, direct cast or SEC GFRC, we're just pouring it right into a form, are coming out as good as I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, we've used injection casting where we use pumps to pump concrete Mm -hmm. into a form. And, you know, you do that so you don't get air. That's the only reason you do it. Right. So you don't get air. And the direct cast where it's running down through the form and filling up, which always traps air with maker mix or rad mix is coming out 10 times better than the uh, injection cast pieces we're doing back with Ultra Seal's Buddy Rhodes mix, and oh, it's just interesting. It's just the mix itself, and so that's that's the difference, and it's completely different. And it really, it it takes some um, perspective on things like the chair mold, where it's this really deep mold that's one inch thick, that is inevitably going to trap a ton of air. There's just no way around it. And so to see the difference, you know, I have uh, a Muskoka chair in my studio that was cast with the UltraSeals mix. And then I have one here cast with Maker Mix. They don't even look like the same chair. It's insane. Not it's, even in color. I mean, everything about it is, is <laughs> yeah. different, but that comes down to that the mix. That's cool. Yeah. And so that's that one of the cool. things that, um, that once, once people use it, they're like, oh, yeah, I, I can see the, the difference in it. And that's, you know, that's why I love it.
2: I think a lot of it is just what people are comfortable with. And if they have, something that works for them, you know, cause from doing product support, you know, for a year and a half, um, I notice a lot of people like they think about their products, but they're, they're more focused on their business and they have, you know, especially getting a concrete business like ours, you know, especially if you get some level of success, you have so many phone calls with people wanting work and then you start taking deposits and everybody's calling you because you're, you know, you you told them it was going to be four weeks and it's eight weeks now or whatever it is. Um, I think there's just a big, there, there's a lot amount of stress that goes on for guys that run concrete shops, you know? And so I I think it's hard to, you know, sometimes they just have to see, see things in person. If they ever get a chance to break away and go to a class or something like that, because, a lot of guys are just so tied up in their day-to-day operation. They're just trying to get, uh, you know, projects out the door, get paid, pay employees. There's a lot of stresses, you know, within this industry, and there's the artisanship side, which is why a lot of people do it. But uh, it's just a hard, it's a hard business to run. You know, people think they get into it and it's just going to be a piece of cake. It's there's so many different aspects uh, to running it, and one of them is just your time management. You know, time management is critical for everything. Time is is basically
1: money. Exactly. Yeah. All the more reason to okay. use a pre-blended bag mix, Cody. So what can we do today to get you in this brand new maker mix? <laughs> what, one more thing I want to hit on, all jokes aside, my experience is my biggest expense every year is employees by far. Mm-hmm. When I look at the end of the year, you know, we might do seven, 800,000 in sales. I made 60,000, you know, I'm like, where'd the rest of the money go? It went to my employees. All this work I did that, you know, we were killing ourselves for, It went to the employees and I'm making less than I made when I worked at Marriott when I was 21 years old because employees are such a big expense. And so anything you can do, and I'm not saying like, oh, we should get rid of American jobs. It's not that, but I'm saying from a business viewpoint, especially a small business viewpoint, anything you can do to lower your overhead is going to be good. And, you know, stepping over dollars, pick up dimes, like, well, I'll save $3 a square foot to batch it out myself. Okay, well, that might add up to, you know, maybe... $5,000 $5,000 into the year, total, total cost savings by doing that. But if I get rid of one employee, that extra employee I needed when I was hand batching everything and, you know, doing it that way, if I get rid of that one employee, that could save me $50,000. So that's 10 times the savings versus batching out my own materials, right? And so that's kind of the thing that I've come to realize over the years is the more things I can do, from pre-blended bag mix, from getting a a good mixer. You know, we just actually, I have a Column 3 or a Imer 360 and we just bought a Imer 120 plus. But getting the tools that allow you to work smarter and quicker and easier and and, um, small, you know, I'd say leaner, you can work leaner and, and get the work done. That's really pays dividends. So investing in equipment and investing in products can save you money at the end of the year instead of investing in people to kind of throw people at the problem if that makes sense. Right.
2: Yeah, sure. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's,
2: uh, I always tell people, you know, there's, there's three pieces of advice I give people running a business. And the first, the first one is don't create a job that you can't leave at five o'clock. If you, if you create a business for yourself, you can't leave at five o'clock. And it's, it's, it's difficult to enjoy doing that business. Cause you need a balance between your work life and your, and your home Same. life, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so I always have tried to try to, You know, there's, there's days where we're cast and we have to stay a little bit later or or whatever, but for the most part, I always try to leave around five o'clock and I've always tried to, you know, build my business around that. And the second is just do the things you do well, uh, and pay people for the things you don't, you know, that's why I have an accountant and that's why I have, you know, people that do things. You know, I have a guy who does drawings for me on a computer because it just takes me too long to figure that kind of stuff out and it's just worth the money. So, I mean, it's kind of like what you're saying. It's that's kind of the advice I give people with their business.
1: Well, I think that's actually not a bad place to end.
2: I have one more comment on Please. the sealer that I want yeah, to yeah. bring up sure. um, and just discuss. Um, so there was a comment also, th- this isn't like a real big deal, but about food grade um, that you guys were talking about. And I wanted to talk to you guys about that, like a uh, food, food say for food grade and what you mean by that. Here I'll put my
0: side because because you guys make
2: a comment. That, you know, um, that's the only food food safe uh, sealer, and I just want to just know what you mean by
0: that. No, that's a, that's a great conversation. I've had this many times. As we very well know, I'll put it out there again. I've worked with about every cross linking technology that's out there. I know the basic. I'm gonna call it the four food groups of those companies making the polymers. So whether we're talking about acrylics, epoxies. Urethanes, you know, there's no secret to any of this stuff to me. And, and I don't want to make that as like, oh, like, hey, I told you so, but there is a reality to these materials. Talking about let's some of your 2K products in general, solvent or water based, it doesn't matter. The cross linking technologies, when people put out there that they're food contact safe, they are com- plain and simply completely glossing over the parts per million of the cross-linking technologies that are used, which is Austin isothionates, um, aziridines, carbodiamides. And the reality is all those, there's an indexing process that any of these products go through. And the indexing is always done at a certain percentage above what the solids content needs to be cross-linked. And those do not leave the system entirely. It just doesn't happen. So what this conversation often boils down to is what parts per million are we accepting to say that if I dropped a steak on my countertop and picked it off and ate it, hence whatever contamination went into my body, what is safe and what is not? That's really what it boils down to. Now, from an ICT point of view, this this technology is completely green, water-based. It's got silica, te- silicate technologies, self-cross-linking technologies. There is nothing, and and again, this is me waving my big green flag. Um, and there's a lot of reasons in the history of my life of why I do this and why it's been difficult in my path of creating a technology that doesn't end up going out as, in say, you know, sold as hazmat or you know, if you Google an isothionate, it's pretty clear of their toxicities. So that, that's what I talk about, food contact safety.
2: Sure. Okay. And I'm, I'm going to just give a counterpoint to that because that's sure. something that I wanted to talk about. And I've talked to my chemist, you know, because I'm not a chemist, but I've talked to my chemist and we, we looked at a FDA. So when we first got the sealer and we got a UPC listing, you know, approved using that sealer. It doesn't mean the sealers UPC listed. It means that my company is UPC listed, but that's just, I'm divulging. That's what we used to pass the, to uh, pass the, um, the listing. We also looked, you know, I asked the chemist if we can get, uh, an FDA food, you know, safe rating. And that is nothing that the FAA FDA offers. Correct. He said a lifetime ago, they offered stuff like that, but now the way that a manufacturer Uh, the FDA just says we leave it to the manufacturer to make the claim that, um, the product is, is food safe Exactly, uh, and you have to back it up with your own testing and that, so you can't get anything that actually quantifies. There's no listing or there's no paper paperwork. And he said, you know, with a polyurethane, um, once the, uh, cross-linking is complete, you know, it becomes inert and you know, you, you had your points and your um, you made your points, but. He said it's, it's food safe, just the same as any um, wooden table that's in, you know, millions of houses all over the world, has a polyurethane coating on it. It's in polyurethanes are in your sofa, your pillows, your mattresses, your wood floors. So, I mean, polyurethanes are in homes, all around homes. They're used everywhere. So it's, I mean, if you look at parts per million and stuff, but he said, uh, my chemist said, you know, there's nothing... You know, in our sealer or or polyurethanes that just radiate off, um, you know, harmful material. Once they're they're crosslinked and they're dry, basically, by the time you install it in your customer's house, they become inert. He said, if you eat like a paint like a chip, like if you would accidentally ingest a a chip or something like that, you're not. It's not going to make you sick or anything. So that's just the point I wanted to make about food safe and how we come at it and how we explain it to um, our customers.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, like, like a lot of things, that's that's the way of putting a curtain around it that makes it happy to put the information in, in people's hands. And I completely understand that. That's, that's exactly the way I discuss it.
1: I think what John's saying and, and you hit it is there is no FDA approval. And so it's up to the manufacturers to claim and then, and then back it up. And but what John's saying is there's, all these sealers out there that have these cross-linking technologies that are very carcinogenic, and they say we're food right. contact safe, but they just say they're food contact safe, right? They're like, hey, we're food contact safe. You're like, I don't think so, you know? And, you know, your chemist is saying when the cross is complete, it's inert, and what John is saying It never goes 100% inert. There's always going to be. It can't. Yeah. There's always going to be some that uh, transfers to food. And so then what is acceptable? What's acceptable to you as an acceptable amount of contamination?
2: Right. Right. And then, like John said, it's, you know, I don't know what the parts per million are and stuff like that. But from everything that we've looked at on our end and any testing that we've, you know, tried or looked at doing, um, we would say that our, our sealer is fine. It's food safe, just like any other. Uh, water-based topical sealer
0: or anything else out there? Well, not any. <laughs> there's nothing toxic or even potentially toxic. So, and I, for me personally, so I don't even have to use, you know, the uh, the politically correct word of saying it's inert or anything like that because there's nothing in the system to begin with. And I, and I guess that's my point of contention. Sure. Nothing sure. against. Not and again, as we're discussing this, this is me straight up saying, I don't have anything against the other things.
2: That's a complete true statement. That is 100% true.
0: It's just at the end of the day, you know, it's it's much like looking at the vitamin world, right? Like there's nobody can tell you that what I said was in this bottle is in this bottle, but I, you know, in a generality, we've all come to this agreement to use things like, Oh, it's inert or it's this or it's that. But you know, when you look at those people with sensitivities, And then you look at the ingredients and say, well, when I mix whatever, part one to part two to part three, whatever those things are, and then you look at those parts and you say, wow, if these parts in some way have a toxicity to them, but what you're telling me is once these parts, which were toxic to begin with, somehow become non-toxic and fully safe at the end... I again, I, I just,
2: I'm just saying like from my end, we don't have a, um, we, we don't have any, um, concerns at all with food, uh, food safe. Now, when you're using, you know, a sealer, that's a solvent based sealer or seal like sealer, like seal hair, like my sealer. Um, you definitely want to protect yourself. Like you're mentioning, when you mix those two ingredients together, you do not want to get that on your skin. And we're very careful to wear gloves and you know protective sure. equipment because when it's wet is when it's you know that's when you don't want to have problems you wear a mask and you wear your protective gloves but you don't touch it with your skin or anything like that and that's 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 something that we understand um there was one more comment and i mentioned it earlier but i didn't uh like fully address it I and mean, we kind of talked around it but when john mentioned that uh you know mechanical bonds are breaking down in 6 months to 2 years um i just want to make sure like that's clear that we don't have any data or anything showing our sealer that once the initial mechanical bond on our sealer is set, that that's where your bond is. And it doesn't just, you know, over time just start coming off like snakeskin. It's the initial, i t- talked to my chemist about it. Um, he listened to part of the podcast and he said, you know, there's no, there's nothing in our, in our chemistry, that's just going to make the sealer, you know, decide to start to slough off over time. Um, that initial mechanical bond is where you're at. Now, he said if there's damage, like you mentioned, um, he said you could have some fraying on the edges, but you know, the overall piece isn't just going to come off, and that mm-hmm. was one of the things I, I felt like was misleading. Um, yeah, so I people can see don't, that, yeah, yeah people, don't no, I'll
0: agree with that. I, you know, yeah, even yeah, the that, ones I'm like,
2: saying. like everybody knows there can be bonding issues with, with any type of sealer, especially a higher solid sealer. That's where the initial mechanical bond is very important. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not just going to, you don't have to be afraid that, you know, you're going to put this stuff in and then you just don't know, like you just, Oh my gosh, is this going to come off? Like we've done all kinds of, uh, bonding tests in the lab with, um, you know, he's got like this little, it looks like a Hershey kiss, Machine and it's got kind of like a looks like a jar opener type thing and you you put like a little bit of this adhesive and we cut you know little tiny uh, checkerboard patterns, or really small checkerboard patterns and then you push that down. It measures like a pull test and I can't remember if it's a psi strength. And then he's got different uh, tests with like um, carpet tapes and stuff like that. But there is an actual test you can do for bonding. Mm-hmm. And there's there's tests where it will go beyond you know, there's a, there's an acceptable level of of adhesion and bond for it to, you know, pass at least his lab standards. And Mm -hmm. our sealer goes well beyond that, like where it will break, it will literally break. Like if you see the little die, I can't remember what it's called, but it looks like a Hershey kiss. It's a little die, And sometimes some sealers will pull off the sealer. Um, but when we've done our bond test, it pulls, it actually breaks the concrete. So you would have like a, it looks like somebody shot the concrete with a little BB gun, right? It will actually pull it off. So if the sealer sticks to the concrete enough that the concrete releases, that's that's beyond what his testing even, you know, needs
0: to Agreed. be. And, and just so we know, that, that is what we're talking about. And, you know, the right. longevity of a coating system is – so, yeah, I mean, we'll clear it up. So this was not something directed at the chemistry of a coating. This was talking about the long-term ultimate bonding, you know, concrete moves, it expands, it contracts, the pore structure expands and contracts with, with the seasons. And at some point, like at the beginning of this, everything wears out one way or another. Heck, we're wearing out. I think we all laugh about that, but it is. Right. So, you know, that that's what we were addressing at the time, you know, that there, there is a timeline there. And Okay, maybe I undershot it six months to two years. Maybe it's two years, three years, four years. five. But the reality is, for everything, it's going to wear out. And that is one of the difficulties with a coding-baked system. It, let's call it a film, if you will. And at some point throughout that movement, as you just said, scratch through whatever we might be talking about, when, you're, when a system is designed around its ability to However you want to stick, mm-hmm. mechanically attach, whatever the case may be, that yeah, you're absolutely right. And your chemist is absolutely right. This is not a chemistry issue. This is a long term wear and abuse situation that we're discussing.
2: Right. And and that's that's an opinion I like agree with. I understand what you're saying, but our expectation, at least with with our sealers, and I've seen it on, you know, other sealers. Uh, is that there's years and years and years. I mean, ten or fifteen years uh, with any anything in your home is you know a long time. That's considered lifetime. If it's your refrigerator, your stove, or anything like that, um, and if there's refurbishing that needs to be done, uh, you know that many years later, it absolutely can be done. It's recodable material. It will completely work. But we don't have any expectation. That uh, our customers are, you know, six months to two years, you know, without any damage or anything, just a regular countertop is going to start to fail just based on the sealer. That's that's my point.
1: Where John and I in the podcast were discussing topicals, not seal here, because, again, I don't have an experience seal here, so I can't speak to that. But topicals in general is there's uh, all topicals, all sealers. I mean, John will be honest. ICT at some point will need to be reapplied. It's no just question. inevitable. It's, it's right. just the nature of concrete. But at some point, all topicals fail. All reactives will fail at some point. And what does it right. take to fix those in somebody's home?
2: And, that, and, that's, and that's what it goes to, um, just what you're talking about, expectation, you know. Um, you know it just depends on what your expectation is for longevity, what your expectation is for uh, your customers. you know my my sealer exists um, for for people that um, you know they th- there's just lower expectations. they don't want to tell people exactly you know every everything that they do, you know because people just live you know how they live. and um, you know our our biggest thing is like just don't cut on it and then we have an expectation for a pretty you know, substantially long, uh, service life with our sealer. And I understand that the same with ICT. It's just two different, um, it's just two different, um, expectations. Right. And I, I recommend you guys a sealer all the time. In fact, I recommended it to somebody this morning. I always tell them, I'm like, try it, just try it out. Yeah. You know, if you've, if you've never used it before, I'm like, just try it. I might like, try it. You might love it. You might like it, uh, and you might never buy my sealer. Like, I don't care. We don't try to sell our sealer. We just offer it to people.
1: Where I was kind of going with it, and, and I'd like to hear your opinion on this, is when I was using EAP, but even I used E32K, there, there was times with the E32K that I had to go into, say, a restaurant and repair it. And luckily, E32K wasn't too odiferous. You know, there wasn't, it, it was a water-based epoxy and urethane but it still had a pretty strong smell to it and it was very specific and it had a pot life you had to apply it. it it would be tacked up for a half a day nobody could you know no dust nobody could touch it that kind of thing um which was a problem in a restaurant especially when i went to eap it wasn't repairable in the field you know i remember the last project i had where it all delaminated it was in a client's house where they put back painted backsplash over the concrete and it had integral sinks kitchen sinks And there was no way to get the countertops out. And Bob Chatterton said, you know, just polish them in place, Uh, water polish them in place. But that was literally impossible to do. Literally impossible. There's just no way to do it in this, you know, mansion. And so that was a huge, huge stumbling block. And that was really the last project I ever did with the topical. And that's when I made the switch to uh, reactive to ICT. But with the reactive and you've used reactives, you know, you can hit them with a buffing pad and then wipe it on and essentially be in and out and it dries immediately and it doesn't have an odor that being said. And we're not saying like this is better and that's worse or anything, but just based on, on that repairing in the field, how would you say your sealer is repairable in the field? How does that stack up?
2: It's, I mean, you're going to have to shut down that area. You know, it stinks. Just like you say, it stinks. You're going to have to shut down that area uh, for a day. but the expectation that somebody would have to come back and do a repair would be based on damage on like actual damage. Somebody, you know, dropped a something like a a mirror fell off the wall and caused like some serious damage. And usually restaurants have, you know, some amount of downtime that they, that they have, but we are a recodable sealer, um, for sure. And, uh, you know, you can repair scratches. I mean, especially, you know, it might not be 100%, but it's going to be to the level where a customer is going to look at it and say, yeah, that's great. It's not going to, you know, cause further problems. It looks 90% better. Uh, so they're going to have to close down the, uh, that area for a little bit. And that's just, that's one of the things you have to understand when you're using it. You know, that's just one of the things you look at and you weigh weighed, the pros and cons. And occasionally, when you, if you ever have to go back, and now this this is always based on the sealer being installed, you know, correctly in the beginning, right? If, you've, uh, if you had a problem with the application, then that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you know, properly cured, installed uh, sealer. You know, the expectation is that you'd only have to go back with damage. We wouldn't have to go back for uh, watermarks or stains or discolorations or anything like that, it would be just a strictly damaged thing. And I think customers are a lot more, you know, understanding when there was something specific that damaged. Like, I think we did have a, a mirror fall off, um, in a sushi restaurant that we did. And the customer called me and there was nothing wrong with the sink. In fact, it was like months later that she called me because she didn't have any issue, but it did cause like a big, you know, chip, like a big scratch, like, of you know, probably four inch scratch through the sealer. It was kind of dug out more like a teardrop, like a little bit thicker in one area. And uh, they're closed. Uh, I can't remember if they close every Tuesday or something like that. And I was able to go in. Would have been like a Monday night, you know, if whenever they closed. And I just went in at night and did the knife grade epoxy and just recoded it. And they were fine. Like everyone had left and gone home, talked to the owner and, uh, by Wednesday when they opened up, it was fine. And I've never heard back from her and it's been, you know, over a year. Or so Th- that's a good example of like how you would do it. It's, it didn't take a whole long time. You know, we didn't have to grind anything down. It's just an orbital sander with my vacuum and, you know, some, like a bucket full of tools. So it's not like a, you know, devastating grind, all the sealer off and repair. It wasn't nothing
1: like that. You know, the last thing I wanted to hit on that we talked about. I don't know if we talked about it on the last podcast, but we have talked about it in relation to topicals, is the UV inhibitors they put in, but the, you know they ultimately wear out. UV, inhib- UV inhibitors have a life in the sealing system. And I personally, again, not using seal hair, but using topicals, have gone back to projects that I did seven, eight, nine, 10 years ago that were white concrete sealed with the topical that are now a yellow sh- shade, You know, because the topical ultimately broke down with UV exposure and, and yellowed anybody that has a white truck that puts decals on the side, even a brand new white truck, you peel the decals off four years later and you can see the white paint underneath is a different shade than the white paint around it because that clear coat degraded a little bit from UV exposure. So what, you know, I know steel hair is fairly new, so there's not a whole lot of long-term data, but what's your uh, projections on UV exposure and, and how will it react over time?
2: I mean, so the only thing I can speak to is, well, I've been told by my chemist is that it's very UV stable. There's no issues with UV, but they've, they also did a UV testing when I got my UPC listing through IATMO. They have a testing center and they do an accelerated UV testing. I don't know exactly how they do it, but they have equipment and they test it out to like so many years. Um, but they do, you have to have a UV stability test to pass. It's like a, you know, I can't remember how many points are in the uh, test result. I don't know if it's nine or, 15 or whatever, but they give you a list of everything and it says pass-fail and you have to pass them all. Mm-hmm. And the, um, the UV stability is one of the big tests that you have to pass. So we did pass that UV stability test and so that's, that gives me confidence that I shouldn't have any issues with it, but that's the best I can speak to it. So I don't have any expectation that there would be a, any problem with UV stability.
1: Yeah, I'm just speaking to my experience with other sealers and right. they, they've all to some extent yellowed over time. And some colors, it doesn't matter if it's a green or a gray or black, you don't notice it, but it's the white pieces that I noticed it on. I did a restaurant for, or, or tables for a restaurant that were these huge white communal tables. And I went back and they weren't white anymore.
2: Well, this, uh, you know, my sealer, the patent on our sealer, um, and the owner of the patent that I licensed and everything, this sealer has existed for 18 years. So there's things that, I mean, it was originally, Um, the chemistry, I'm not talking about the sealer itself, but the, the the chemical, you know, composition came from the aviation industry. And so you can probably understand, you know, the connection between, you know, how I found people and everything. And, you know, networking is one of those things where you meet some guy who knows some guy who knows some guy, but that's, that's where it originally came from. And so the abrasion on the coating, um, is meant, you know, uh, well, I should say on the chemistry is not because we have a masonry coating which is a different formulation than what they would use in aviation. But the chemistry, I'm just, John would understand like, right. The, the, the patent, uh, of the chemistry, but it did come from the aviation industry originally. And, uh, you know, that has to be able to withstand abrasion, like very high abrasion from an airplane moving 500 miles an hour through the sky and getting Mm -hmm. dust and hail and rain and snow and, you know, dust on it. and. and so there is things out there, uh, that have had this on that are ma masonry applications, uh, that are exterior, you know, walls and sea walls and, um, light towers and, uh, tunnels and, um, you know, buildings and stuff like that, that have this on as a protecting coating either for, a, a, um, either for, you know, just uh, graffiti or what would it be, um, they use it for a lot of corrosion resistance and stuff like that. Um, now that coating would, uh, there. there's jobs out there that have been out there for 15, 16 years, and they've never seen any type of UV problems, delamination problems or anything. So
1: um, that, that's just one more thing to add to that last point you made. If I was in a market for a topical, I'd definitely give it a shot. It's good to talk to you. And I'm glad that you came on and yes. I'm glad to hear a different perspective and talk to somebody that has a different experience than, than we have and to clear the air a little bit. So, you know, people know that, uh, I don't have any animosity and John doesn't have any animosity and, and, you know, we, uh, we want everybody to succeed. I agree. Well, ultimately I that's why it. it's, a,
0: yeah, that's what, that's what we're all trying to do, right? Help people be successful. Yeah. Right. And
2: I agree and I appreciate you guys, uh, inviting me on. I think this is a real conversation and I think, um, you know, I have to give you guys credit for um, inviting me on. So I think it was um, it was really we'll do it uh, again. something good for <laughs> you guys.
0: This isn't a one-off, Cody. We'll catch up again, bro. So, Cody, how do we get you
1: in this brand new Maker Man?
0: <laughs> well, one, one of these days. We'd uh, <laughs> 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 all You're nice about it. it. Hey, oh. You can
2: send me some uh, free stuff. Oh, uh, can't do that. that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I wish I could afford to do that. No.
2: Yeah, that's what I tell people too. I'm like, yeah, I can't afford to give people yeah, free stuff. To uh, yeah, well, one day if it was more available or something like that, but um, free yeah, samples, a cool mix, so. as
1: you know, as somebody that yeah. sells a product, free samples, people don't value them. They don't the same. use them. That's the exactly. Problem. There's
2: no value. There's yeah. no value in a free no product. Like you see right. it, uh, you have to have skin in the game. You have to have like an invested interest. Uh, that's why i don't give out free samples of seal here there we sell we sell a 40 ounce kit that's 125 bucks if people want to just uh look at it and try it uh so it's not a huge commitment and it covers 120 square feet which is pretty much in line with everything out on the market you know it's a dollar a dollar oh five a square foot and i think if you put in your rollers and um shipping and everything like that you're about a dollar fifty a square foot like at the most you know, So you're somewhere in that dollar range, which is negligible for a, a $2,000 sink or a $5,000 sink or something. Well, if uh, if people want to come and say hi, we have a Facebook group that's the Seal Club. It's called The Seal Club. And pretty much that's it. Awesome, that's man. what we do.
1: Cool. Cool. Well, it was a good conversation. Glad to have you.
0: Yeah. Glad you came on here, Cody. Great talking yep. to you again, just like our yeah, earlier man. conversations. Yeah, it's fantastic.
2: Yeah, for sure, man. And I appreciate you guys bringing on. I think that. Uh, I I think that shows well, you guys. And I think it was a real conversation and hopefully people enjoy it. Awesome. All right. Adios, amigo. All right. See you later. Talk
0: to you later, Cody. Bye.